podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome back to the Rock Chalk Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Mitz. Today we have another season preview, uh, a little bit different this time though. We we have another member of the Rock Chalk Talk um, community here. Uh, you know, he, he, he was a guest for us a few times last year, um, huge, huge KU fan. Uh, grad will be joining us today. We are talking not only football. Um, there is actually some some talk at the beginning about the new NCAA metric that's replacing the RPI for tournament selection. So we we actually start there. Um, grad, you know, just seemed like we we had him on for both football and basketball last year, so he seemed like a natural guy to co to go ahead and talk about both while we're still doing season previews for the for the football team. So. Um, it's not a complete rehash of stuff that we've talked about before. There, there is some overlap, um, but you know, it, it, there is definitely some some new analysis, some new opinion. So it's definitely worth a listen, even if you've listened to all of our previous episodes so far for the year. So, uh, you know, go ahead and take a listen, and uh, I will I will be back with you guys right after the interview with Grad. And I'm joined now by Grad, longtime. Uh guest of the well occasional guest we had last year but uh definitely a long time KU fan so everybody knows you well grad so we don't need to really do any introductions but uh so first of all we 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 do have a full slate tonight I want to start with a little bit of basketball before we get into the football talk um it was announced recently that the NCAA tournament evaluation is going to be done based off of a new metric that they're calling the net it's literally it's just the NCAA evaluation tool um very, very original. Uh, so first of all, what are your thoughts on replacing the RPI with something new? Yeah, I mean, first of all, I'm a little hesitant just because KU's RPI is always really, really high. <laughs> yeah. So, um, and I, I think there, there's been a couple years, you know, where we were kind of on the fringe between a, a one seed and a two seed. Um, a, a really good example is actually uh, 2008 when we won the championship. We were the fourth one seed, and really we, you know, we got it right at the. I, I think it was our win over Texas in the in the tournament final that basically gave us the one seed. Um, but you know, I, I used to not be so much of a believer in you know like a huge difference in a, between a one and a two seed. Um, just because, you know, teams kind of are moved along the seeding lines based on, you know, matchups or conferences or locations. But, you know, recently I remember, especially last year, I kind of looked at, you know, the different draws and I remember thinking, man, I'm really glad KU's (laughs) one seed because, you know, Duke, I mean, Duke in the Elite Eight was a tough matchup. But, I mean, before that, KU's draw was a cakewalk. It, It really was. I mean, I, I guess, you know, Seton Hall was, you know, kind of a little salty and Clemson was a decent team, but, you know, th- those were teams that KU is probably going to beat at least seven or eight times out of 10. I mean, they, they just were teams that KU was better than. And so, you know, when you look at the draw, it was really, you know, KU isn't going to hit anyone difficult till the elite eight. And, and then even then, you know, it's, it's a team that you just got to get hot and, and play well and you can definitely win. So, you know, I've kind of come around a bit on my belief in that, you know, seeding matters <laughs> in the tournament. And now I'm very, you know, wow, we really should try to get a one seed just because when you looked at the different paths teams had last year, I mean, being a one seed was, was critical. Um, so that being said, you know, 
going into this, I, I, I'm, I'm very, you know, aware that KU always has a really strong RPI. And so I'm a little like, wow, if we're changing the formula and RPI, RPI is something that, you know, has been a huge boost, obviously, to us getting a one seed in the past, you know, that makes me a little hesitant. Um, the second thing is, you know, the, the, the basic understanding I have of the new system is a lot of it is kind of predicated on all the games being weighted the same. So, you know, they're not going to look at, oh, how did, you know, the team do in their last 10 games or who's hot right now when seeding and they're trying to weigh everything equally. But what's interesting about that is it it seems a little bit of a flawed way to look at college basketball, especially in the one and done era when there's so many teams, especially teams that are in the tournament, you know, the high profile teams, they're out there you know, constantly getting, you know, one and done guys or, or maybe just young guys because they've had guys declare early. I mean, Kansas, Duke, Kentucky, um, all good examples of that. And so I, I feel like it's it's a bit odd that they're saying, hey, we're waiting all the games the same now when, you know, next season is a great example. KU has a very loaded non-con as normal, and they have a ton of new faces. I mean, they're, they're, they're absolutely going to be talented. I think they're going to be one of the best teams in the country. I wouldn't be surprised if they're a one seed again, but you know, they could absolutely lose a couple games early in the non-con while self is still putting everything together. And, and, you know, you and I and and other KU fans for the most part probably aren't even going to freak out too much of that happens because we know they have talent. We know they have a high ceiling. We know that there's a lot of new faces and there's some younger guys like, you know, Quentin Grimes will need probably a little bit of time to get adjusted to college ball, but that's, that's kind of what seems a little confusing to me is, you know, they're going with this whole, you know, waiting all the games the same approach when that just doesn't seem to really fit with modern college basketball, especially when you have so many, you know, one and done guys playing for high profile teams. So that that's the part that seems a little bit odd to me. Yeah. So a couple of things to keep in mind here, though. First of all, just on the idea of the RPI being replaced, I think it's definitely time that the RPI at least got a facelift, whether they completely replaced it with something new or just did something to refresh it. Um, I honestly, I feel like this is kind of similar to, to mixing the RPI with a lot of these other systems that we see, you know, the predictive systems. Um, I mean, the idea behind the RPI is, is sort of the same thing that every game is supposed to count the same. It shouldn't matter, you know, at what point and the way that they have been using the RPI in the past to, at least this this last year to kind of set up the different quadrants and um, you know to talk about you know quadrant one wins or wins within the top fifty of the RPI or things like that um, you know so like if if we're limiting this discussion on net on on the the, the new metric to that kind of way then I agree that um, you know I mean it's it's it seems like a good thing taking additional data into account. I do agree with you, though, like we shouldn't be using this as like the determination of whether someone makes it in or not. I think it's it, it sounds fine based off of my understanding of it for the, the grouping sort of exercise. There's obviously still going to be issues with it um, just in terms of, you know, trying to weight everything evenly, like you were saying, not taking necessarily into account special circumstances or other things like that. But I think any kind of system you have is going to have a hard time with that. So talking specifically about the net. My understanding of the way that it works, it's composed of a bunch of different, a bunch of different things. Um, but essentially, it, it's going to be fairly similar to the RPI in that they're going to have a bunch of different, um, you know, like they're going to be looking at 
location and, um, you know, like looking, but, but, but it's adding in some of the predictive analytics. So it's going to look at like efficiency margin and things like that. Um, so it, that in and of itself is a step up. The one thing that I don't like about it, and, and I'd like to get your opinion on this, but also on anything else, you know, if, if there's any other areas, um, they do say when they're calculating the efficiency margin, they are capping wins at 10. So if, if you win by any higher than 10, they assume that that's a, that, that it's a 10 point win for the rating purposes. I'm not sure if that's the right threshold. I do agree that there probably should be some sort of threshold. Um, but do you agree with that threshold? Do you think it should be any specific number or higher or, or are you good with it? You know, I, I, I probably don't agree with it just because 10 seems like, I mean, I, I can kind of understand. I, I just think it's weird to do it in basketball. I mean, I guess that's the, the easiest way to say it. Like I can kind of understand doing it in football because, you know, in football, it's kind of, if you get up by like 30 points and it's the fourth quarter, you know, backups are going to come in. Teams are going to start running the clock, but there's so much crazy variance that can happen at the end of a basketball game where, you know, we've seen games. I mean, I mentioned the win over Clemson in the sweet 16 last year. I mean, that's a good example. KU was up by like well over 20 points. I mean, was it even 30 at one point? I mean, they were, they were just, destroying this team and they completely let their foot off the gas and the final margin was what four maybe four or five points um i know we all kind of had a slight minor heart attack in the final minute but i mean if you looked at the win probability it probably you know still didn't dip that much so that's what it it seems odd to cap anything college basketball just because you know, I, I've, I've seen so many games, especially with KU, you know, there, there's one that comes top of my mind a few years ago. Um, I went to a game in Lawrence and they played, I think it was TCU. And I mean, KU was up by like 25 points or so in the second half. And TCU literally hit like six threes in a row to end the game. And so like the final score was only four, five, six points. But, I mean, we're talking literally like they hit five threes in the final minute. <laughs> just just something absolutely absurd. But at no point were you worried about it. And so, in the end, KU having a five-point win, according to this ranking system, they would look at it and just be like, oh, wow, you know, like TCU only lost by five to KU and Lawrence. But it, it's not indicative of the game at all. I mean, it, it, was a, it was a slaughter. It was a slaughter that looked different at the end because the other team jacked a bunch of threes and hit them when KU had their walk-ons in. And so that's what I think is odd about just any sort of cap is, you know, there's so many weird things that can happen at the end of a game, um, you know, in both directions. There could be a team winning by a lot, and then the other team just, you know, hits a bunch of threes and comes back and cuts it close. And all of a sudden then you have – you know, maybe a five, six point win when the other team was dominating or, you know, on the other hand, a team could be, have a very, very narrow lead over another team. And then, you know, in the final minute, the other team goes 0 for 4 from 3, fouls the other team, they go 8 from 8 from the line, and all of a sudden, you know, you've got that, you know, bigger win. So I guess from that perspective, maybe that's why they're trying to do the cap, but it just seems odd to me that, that they would do that when there's just so much, you know, odd things that can happen at the end of a basketball game. Yeah. I mean, so, so I think though, cause they're looking at the last, like the last score of the game essentially. And and you're right. It, it was a four point margin for Kansas ultimately against Clemson. 
Um, the highest that that margin ever got to was actually 20 points in that game, which it seemed like it got higher at one point, but, but I actually just, just looked at it. But I mean, I understand if we're looking specifically at, you know, what is the score differential in at, at the end of regulation? Cause that's essentially what it does there. I think there does need to be some point at the top where it, it caps just because like, honestly, I think the difference between winning by 20 and winning by 40 isn't really that much. Like if you're, you know, the, the situations and the amount of effort that people give at the end there is going to be fairly similar, whether you win by 20 or you win by 40. I don't know that 10 is the right number because I do think that, you know, especially in the last two minutes, if, if you're down by 10 in the last two minutes, teams are still playing very, very hard at that point. Like you haven't gotten into the ridiculous, no way that someone can come back and win territory yet. Um, you know, if, if we're, if we're at like 15 or 20 in the last two minutes, I think you're, you're finally going to get to that area where, you know, teams will stop trying and, and the score can balloon out of control, you know, because the walk-ons are finally, you know, get a chance for, for the winning team. So, you know, I mean, I, I can see that sort of situation. Like, so I think maybe that the, the, the cap should be something like 15 or 20, but um, yeah, I mean, that, that would make more sense to me. Or, or if nothing else, you know, don't have a cap. I mean, I, I think ESPN's win probability is a really good metric. I mean, maybe just instead of having just like some arbitrary like, oh, 10-point cap, you know, maybe say, okay, in this game, did Team A achieve, you know, above a 95-win percent probability, and then did it stay that way? Because, you know, with win probability, you're factoring in the clock, which I think is is a big part of it, too. So, you know, there's there's been plenty of games where, you know, KU, maybe the score looked, you know, closer at the end, but the reality was, okay, KU's win probability never dipped below 95%. Who cares if the other team hit some threes? The, the fact is that there there wasn't enough time for them to actually be threatened. So Which, which is actually kind of funny that you say that because the Clemson game, they were not – their win probability didn't go below 95% after it looks like the 17-minute mark in the second half. Yeah, wow. exactly. And so while, you know, I was literally like clutching my chest, <laughs> you know, in the last right. few minutes, you know, the, the reality is, is just, it, it wasn't going to happen. There, there just, there was not enough time um, and, and no team can, you know, I, I guess someone could theoretically hit eight three pointers in a row, but just the odds of it happening are so slim that, so, I mean, I just think that's kind of a better way of looking at it and, you know, maybe oh. maybe it's too much math, but, you know, just looking at, okay, how many games did a team achieve, you know, maybe above a certain percentage, you know, win probability, and did it not dip, you know, at any at below whatever point in the second half? That, to me, seems like more of a, a quote-unquote blowout than just randomly looking at the score because, you know, like I said earlier, there's just so many things that can happen in the last minute or two of a game to really warp how the score looks at the end compared to, how the game actually went. Yeah, I think, I think though, I mean, like, I like what you're talking about in terms of determining whether a game's a blowout or not, you know, even kind of ignoring the final score, but that doesn't, I mean, that, that doesn't really address the issue that we're talking about with the, with the cap on the score. I mean, I do think that there does get to be a point where if the margin is any higher than a specific point, it doesn't tell you anything else about the relative strength of those two teams or how good that team is. Um, what that number is, I'm not sure. Like, I, I don't know if it's necessary to put a cap on it, but when they say that the reason they put the cap on it was to discourage, you know, unsportsmanlike behavior of running up the score to try to get a 40-point victory when 
you easily don't need it in order to win. Like I, I can understand that is in some cases it can be a worthy goal, you know, to try to avoid that to run up the score. I just don't think that the number 10 as your cap is the right number there. I think it should be a little bit higher, probably 15 or 20 if, if you're going to put a cap on there. And so, so I think operating under the assumption that they want to put a cap to try to encourage sportsmen like behavior and not running up the score I know, I, I'm okay with that. I don't think it makes that much of a difference. But honestly, empirically, you know, the diff- if, if they put the cap at 20 versus 30, I don't think that makes that much of a difference. I do think there's enough of a difference going from 10 to, you know, say 15 or 20. Um, ultimately, I can't look at the data that they have. Like they said that they ran it through a bunch of scenarios to come up with that with that 10 point number. I'm not sure what the actual data showed for any higher caps, but. Um, you know, so I, I, I can get behind the idea of having a cap. I just, it seems like 10 is too low, but without actually being able to look at the data to determine, you know, how much of a difference that actually makes to raise it by five or 10 points, I can't definitively say that they should put it at this particular level. So, but all right. So, so the, the other thing I thought though was interesting, which I do like compared to some of these other, uh, to, to compared to some of the other metrics out there is that. If the game goes into overtime, then they automatically treat the margin of that game as a positive one for the winner and a minus one for the loser, regardless of what the final score actually ends up being. I actually like that. Do you have any problems with that, or or, or do you think that that's the right way to do it for, for an overtime game? Um. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess that, that probably makes sense. I mean, especially... You know, like I mentioned earlier, there's just so many things could happen in the last minute with, you know, fouling and things like that. Um, I, I think a lot of it, too, is, I mean, there's so many times where a game goes to overtime and, you know, teams at that point might be missing a really key player. And, you know, it's probably right. that the overtime probably isn't often isn't like a huge indicator of, you know, maybe like who the better team was or, or there's nights, you know, where like when KU went to overtime with Iowa state in the game where Elijah Johnson just went absolutely crazy. Like, you know, I, I think he could have sat in the fourth row and, and, and still made whatever shot he was taking. <laughs> yeah. at that point. And, uh, you know, so, I mean, there's just times where, yeah, I mean, there's key guys that have fouled out, you know, maybe a certain player is really, really hot. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I understand the thinking that if a game goes to overtime, that itself is probably a very good indicator that the teams are very evenly matched. And then, you know, a very slight reward for the winner, slight, you know, knock for the loser, but, you know, nothing significant. So, yeah, I, I think that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, I just I, I hated the fact when you would get into a situation where, you know, like a team forces overtime, but they lose their their top two players and then they get blown out in the overtime because they're without their top two players. Like, I don't think you should be counting a 15 point loss against a team that was able to get it to the overtime period, but literally had nothing left to stop it from getting there. Cause you know, I mean, if the game had ended five seconds sooner, they would have only had a one point loss instead of a 15 point loss. So yeah, I, I'm definitely, um, I, I definitely agree with doing it that way for, for overtime games. All right, well, that's enough about a basketball metric that won't even come into play until, you know, six months from now. Let's, uh, let's go ahead and jump to, obviously, what is the more, the more pressing topic. Um, the season opener is this upcoming Saturday. Um, this episode is dropping either the Monday or Tuesday before the season opener. So, um, so obviously, it's, it's kind of important to talk about the football team. 
Um, Kansas recently named Peyton Bender as the starting quarterback for the first week. Um, so first of all, I thought it was interesting that they had said start, you know, QB one for week one, not starting your starting quarterback, but QB one for week one. So it's only guaranteed for the first week. But what are your thoughts on Peyton Bender being named the starter? I mean, expected. Um, I, I, I think at this point, you know, it, it honestly may just be a case of, you know, who was really going to beat him out. Lee is capable, but he's, he's never really, you know, let the world on fire uh, at Kansas. I mean, even, yes, he was our quarterback when we beat Texas, but I mean, apart from, you know, a few timely scrambles here and there, most of that game was the product of Texas just willingly handing us the ball over and over and over again. Um, but, right. He, I mean, he had the one good drive at the end that you could really say that was him putting a stamp on the game. The right. rest of it was really good field position. The defense, you know, really taking over that game for us. So yeah, I, I, I agree. Targeting penalty. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. All of it. But I, I mean, the, the only thing in, you know, in the case of, you know, Kendrick, you know, I, I know I've, I've posted quite often on the site that, you know, I really think the, the best thing for us to do on offense is really to move into more of a kind of an option zone read based attack just because I, I, I've seen our line pass block and it, it, they just can't do it. <laughs> you know, if, if, if KU had something approaching the resemblance of a somewhat okay offensive college offensive line, then I get it. Yeah. Put, put Bender in there. He's got the best arm, you know, let him, let him sling the ball around, you know, get in the hands of Sims and, you know, the running backs coming out of the backfield, you know, maybe Evan fairs, uh, you know, breaks out. I know he had a, he had a couple, you know, decent showings last year. I know he did a good game against Texas, but you know, in this case, we, we haven't seen it. I mean, all, all we've seen, you know, the only examples I can look, look back on are, you know, Bender getting the ball and immediately fearing for his life. And, you know, also occasionally, you know, putting some balls in some dangerous spots. Um, but then again, you know, Stanley didn't really look any better. I mean, the two of them seem to have pretty identical stat lines when they played last year. Um, obviously, Stanley, you know, he's got the, you know, he's better with his legs. And, and that's, you know, there's some value to that. But, you know, that's the only reason I thought maybe if, if Kendrick came in, and showed enough with his arm that potentially we could say, you know what, like this guy can make some plays with his legs. Um, he's an honest enough passer that we can kind of go with more of a, a ground oriented attack, you know, maybe do some zone reading options, stop some misdirection, kind of keep the defense guessing. You're going to keep the clock moving. You're going to hopefully keep your defense off the field, which, you know, has just, that's, that's been a problem for KU for, I, honestly, since Mangino left, is our, our defense is just exhausted at the end of every game. I mean, yeah. there's there's so many examples of games where, you know, KU's defense actually played well early. I, the Oklahoma game last year is a good example. I mean, I, I don't Oklahoma only had a couple points, like, midway through the second quarter. Our defense was playing well. Uh, I think the only touchdown they had was kind of a, a broken play where we basically had Mayfield sacked and then he kind of somehow escaped and threw a 60-yard touchdown. But, you know, apart from that, the defense is looking great. But, you know, the offense trots out there and goes three and out over and over again. It's just there, there's no way that you know, the defense is going to hold up 
Um, so that's just kind of the only reason I thought maybe they, they could shift to more of a, a running based look. And, you know, it, it's possible they still do that. Um, you know, I, I think it's funny because it maybe it's dangerous for me to advocate us doing this because it's, it's literally identical to what Charlie Weiss did. You know, Charlie Weiss had his, his pocket passer quarterback that, you know, he went out and got, well, yeah, two of them, he had, you know, Jake heaps and, um, Dane Chris before him. And, you know, a few games in, he was looking at, he was like, okay, the, the quarterback is, is not making all the throws. The line can't block for him. And he, and he kind of blew the whole thing up a couple of times and basically said, we're going to put in a quarterback who's better at running the ball. First it was Michael Cummings. And then it was Montel Cozart. And then it became Cummings again <laughs> later on. Right. But, you know, basically he completely changed the offense and, you know, it didn't really work a whole lot better, but it did really it, it did help us beat West Virginia. You know, the it we just kind of ran all over them. Sims had just a monster game, and that was the only Big Twelve win he was a part of because the next year he had been fired. You know, by the time they beat Iowa State, so maybe my idea do, isn't good because it's exactly what <laughs> Charlie Weiss <laughs> did to try to you know jumpstart a, a stalling offense, but. You know, it, it 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 seems to me it makes sense when you when you have a line who you know obviously cannot pass block and you know you got a quarterback who you know can't move super fast, you know why not why not change things? But you know hopefully maybe you know we are going to run the ball more and you know maybe they think maybe Kendrick is an option and he just needs you know maybe three or four more weeks to kind of you know mature and and settle down and learn the offense so. I guess I'm kind of in wait and see mode. I, I, I don't think that Bender is going to be our quarterback every single week of the season and there won't be changes made. I just, I doubt that happens. Yeah. Personally. I mean, I, I, I was kind of feeling that Miles Kendrick probably should have been named as a starter one because, you know, we've already seen how bad it was with some of the other guys. Um, but also he just kind of seemed to be, you know, like you were talking about, it seemed that, that Bender was like the guy with the, with, with the good arm, and that Stanley was the guy that could escape pressure, but neither of them really had the other trait enough to really put it together and be able to survive behind the line that we have. Everything that I've seen of Miles Kendrick, the, the tape from his community college and everything, seems to indicate that he's probably better equipped to handle that if we are in that same sort of situation. The, the, the only reason I think it makes sense to have Peyton Bender as the QB is because of what Jesse Newell and Scott Chasen have both said in terms of it looks like the offensive line is actually decently improved. Um, one, you know, uh, the the new offensive line coach that we brought in, the Missouri guy, um, seems to have changed the attitude around the offensive line. I was listening to another podcast earlier today. Um, I believe it was the, the Lawrence Journal World one, the KU Sports Hour. They were talking about how um, Daniel Wise noticed – you know, like within one of the first practices that the offensive line like was getting after them and was playing through the whistle like five, se- five seconds after the whistle. Like just the change in attitude from the line seemed was something that jumped out immediately to those defensive line players. So if that's true, like if, if that really is a change of attitude from the line, then that, that could be huge for us, just that additional intensity. Um, but also, you know, I, all I've been hearing about Alex Fontana, who's going to take over the the center duties, at least for the beginning of the year, and a lot of these other new guys that have come in is that they are light years ahead of where we we have been the last the last few years. So, if all of that's to be to be believed, if that actually comes together, 
then I think Peyton Bender with a competent line, not not necessarily a a good or you know great line, but a competent one, should be able to do more behind that line than I think Carter Stanley could. And I also think that you know it's not as necessary to look into what Miles Kendrick can bring to it um, if Peyton Bender is actually given time to do what he is is known for and and get the ball down the field. So I, I have a little bit of hope after hearing a lot of that there. But yeah, I mean, I, like like uh, everybody has basically said, is the offensive line is still the biggest question. And if you don't believe that that's actually been fixed, then Peyton Bender doesn't make a lot of sense as the starter, just given the the issues that he's already had. Yeah, and you know, probably a lot of it too is just, you know, it, they they may look you know better, but they probably won't know until they actually go out and start playing opposing teams. I mean, <laughs> if they go out, sure. if they go out and you know, against Nickel State, and they're not—they're not driving guys off the ball, and you know the running backs are only getting three yards a carry, and there's still you know pass protection issues. That's probably a good sign that like, ooh, you know, maybe we should blow, blow this up. I, I'm I'm hoping I'm hoping now that you know KU actually a has an offensive coordinator who isn't the same guy as our head coach who probably doesn't exactly know what he's doing in a lot of these areas. Um, it's harsh as to say, you know, I'm hoping that a, since we have an offensive coordinator and B he's, you know, actually been in Lawrence now for, for over a year, you know, that there's, there, there's possibly some backup plan in, in case they go out there and the offense just doesn't have it. The offensive line can't pass block, uh, you, you know, Bender doesn't look good. I mean, we, we've seen it happen before. I mean, it, Charlie Weiss, I mean, I, I know that he's, you know, the greatest offensive mind in the history of football. But if he was able to, you know, throw out a completely different offense, you know, in, uh, in a weekly basis, pretty much, I, I hope that this staff could do the same. And, and I really hope that if things aren't working, they don't just continue to basically hammer the same offense over and over. Because it, it really seems like that's what happened last year. And, the offense just kept getting worse. I mean, they just kept getting worse and worse and worse to the point where they got shut out two games in a row. I mean, that's, that's hard to do. I I, I can't even, I can't even wrap my mind around how that is possible, especially when the other team probably had their second and third string guys in at least in the third quarter, possibly earlier. Like how do you not score a point? (laughs) How is that? How is that possible? Uh, so, I, and it just seemed like as they just kept their like their solution in the past, at least since Beatty's gotten there, has been let's change the quarterback. And you know, changing the the quarterback isn't going to do much of a difference if if everything else is the same. Whereas, you know, we we saw Mangino do this. I mean, Mangino ran a very very different looking offense when he had Adam Barman at quarterback compared to a few weeks later when he pulled Barman and put in Kerry Meyer. And, you know, things like that. It's just he it seemed like in the past when KU's been successful. And I mean, these these weren't super great offenses by any stretch, but it seemed like our past coaches, even Charlie Weiss, you know, were were willing to just say, okay, this isn't working. We need to do something different. What are the players we have? What's the personnel we have? And a lot of cases was, okay, we've got. You know, we've got talented running backs. Let's, let's let's try to run the ball more. Let's try to keep the defense fresh. We have issues there. We have depth issues on the line, whatever it is. And more often than not, even if it wasn't a great solution, it at least was a little bit better than, than what they've been doing. And 
it, it's got to be better than last year. I mean, g- getting shut out, it, that's just that that's just completely unacceptable. I mean, I don't care how bad the team is, you can't get shut out. I mean, you should be able to score at least double digit points. I mean, I, I can't believe that sounds like a pipe dream for us, but you know, here we are. Yeah. Yeah. So, all right. So, I mean, <laughs> I don't know that there's very much more to say about the offense there. Uh, I don't know really that there's too much to really dive into uh, that we haven't already done here on the podcast for the defense, but I do want to get your opinion on how you thought, you know, how you think I was looking online the other day and I believe Kansas is, it's the third easiest non-conference schedule in all of college football, I think. Um, Or I I know for sure it's at least in the top five. But what are your thoughts about this going in to this non-conference schedule? I mean, I've heard a lot of – I've heard predictions all the way from they're going to be so horrible that they're not even going to win a single one to this team has improved enough that maybe, you know, that they actually win all three. Where do you think that they're going to fall on that? And specifically, what do you think about this Nickel State opener coming up? Yeah, I mean, honestly – no, absolutely nothing would surprise me in the non-con. And so, I mean, if they, and, and I said this on the site, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, how are they going to win these games? And the reality is, you know, Central Michigan is not a good team. I mean, they were, <laughs> they were okay last year and they're projected to be, you know, a bad Mac team this year. They, they lost a lot. And, you know, Mac teams don't lose a lot of players and then turn around and have good seasons next year. That's just, that's not the way the Mac works. The Mac is very, you know, you constantly have a lot of different teams kind of jumping to the top. I mean, you'll see Akron go two and 10 one year and then the next year go 10 and two. I mean, it's very driven by, you know, player development, upperclassmen, et cetera. So the fact that, I, I mean, I know it's a road game and that's what makes me a little more hesitant, but the fact that they've lost so much that, that should be a winnable game. Uh, and and not only that, I mean, Kansas beat Central Michigan by 10 points when Charlie Weiss was our coach. I mean, there, there's, <laughs> there's, it's not yeah. like, it's not like it's, we're, we're daring to dream this impossible dream of KU going out and beating a Mac team. I mean, when Turner Gill was our coach, we beat a Northern Illinois team that went, I think they went 11 and two that season. I mean, they were head and shoulders above every other team in their conference. They were I mean, they slaughtered the Mac that year. Their only their only losses were in the non-con. I mean, they they destroyed the Mac. I, I think they may have gone undefeated in conference play, beat the crap out of most teams, and, and KU beat that team. So there 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 should be a very so, clear level. I think you're thinking of the 2012 game. Um, they actually did lose that game, uh, 30 to 23. That was actually it looks like it was it was a road game. Um, oh no! I was talking. Yeah, the year before they they beat Northern Illinois uh, at home. Oh, okay, okay. That, that yeah. makes a little bit more sense then. I was like, oh, I, might, I might be con- <laughs> I might be confusing the the Northern Illinois teams. I think I think the one the team they lost to was the year where they like somehow made a BCS game. But so, I think the team they beat was was pretty good too. I'm pretty sure you have them flipped, right? Yeah, the one that when, when they lost, you're right. Yeah, that was when they made the BCS game because that was back in 2012. Um, here I'm looking it up right now. 2011. They played Northern Illinois as well. They won that game in Lawrence, forty-five to forty-two. So, yeah, but that was still that was still a good Northern Illinois team. I think they were still, if they weren't the best MAC team, they were they were close. Yeah, I'm um, going to look at that right now too. <laughs> but, but yeah, I mean, yeah, they were a decent team. It's not like they were. 
Yeah, actually. So they were uh, 11 and three, and they beat Arkansas State in the GoDaddy.com bowl that year. So, so they were they were ten and three in the mac or in in the season. Uh, it looks like yeah they beat Ohio in the uh, in the MAC championship. So yeah, yeah. I mean they yeah. were definitely a good team that year, and Kansas was able to beat them at home. So yeah, I mean, yeah. So I mean we're we're talking. I mean we we've seen examples from good. Well, I should say great KU teams. I mean the in two thousand seven. The, the Orange Bowl team beat Central Michigan like 45 nothing, and that that was they won the MAC that year. So, but even the bad KU teams have still been able to find ways to beat good MAC teams, or you know at the very least come really close, as was the case in the BCS year. That game, like you mentioned, they lost on the road, but I'm pretty sure they led through a lot of it. They kind of fell apart in the fourth quarter, but. So that's why, you know, I look at it, I'm like, I know KU's been really, really bad, but there's just, there's a lot of historical, you know, examples that suggest that this should not be more than a toss-up game. And then when you look at Rutgers, you know, obviously there's a slight boost there that it's, that's a home game. And, you know, Rutgers was, was bad last year and they lost a lot too. I mean, there's, by all indications, Rutgers should be kind of flirting with KU level bad this season. I mean, I don't know if anyone ever gets that bad, but they should be kind of in the you know the general ballpark, right. like, along with like the Oregon States and the really bad P5 teams. So, you know, the the big key, I, I think they'll win the opener. Um, I, I I don't think it'll be a blowout by any means. I mean, obviously, Nickel State is, is a good FCS team. Yeah, they are I ranked. Mean, so. Yeah, but uh, but on the other hand, I mean, there's been times in the past. I, I mean, KU has. I, I think the year that they played McNeese State, McNeese State was like the 20th ranked FCS team, and KU still won by 20. I mean, there's oh, there's yeah. still yeah. I mean, there's still KU should win that game. I mean, I'll breathe a sigh of relief when it happens, if it happens. Hopefully, it happens, but. I'm not going into that game saying like, Oh God, you know, like I wonder what's going to happen. I mean, I'm expecting KU to win that game. And my, my prediction for the other two is in honestly, some people would call this optimistic. I think they split. I, I, I think, and, and I know it sounds crazy because it's on the road right now. If I had to pick, I would actually pick them to win a very close game against central Michigan and then lose a close game to Rutgers. But if that was flipped, I wouldn't be surprised. If if they lost both, I wouldn't be surprised. And if they won both, I would be a little surprised. But you know, I wouldn't I wouldn't be shocked. You know, the the level of shock I would have if KU won, you know, those two non-con games is not you know in the same country as my shock as if you know KU won two Big Twelve games. So oh yeah, definitely. I mean, I'm, I'm I'm thinking I'm thinking two and one. Um, I don't think we're gonna win a league game. I, I've said all along, I think KU probably goes about two and 10 this year. So I'm thinking, you know, win in the opener. And I, I think they'll split one of their next two. I think all three will be close. And then after that, I think it's just going to be a world of pain. Yeah. I mean, I think that that is definitely a possibility. I do think they have a, a decent shot at Baylor because of how early in the season it is. Um, and really, I mean, it just depends on how quickly Baylor gets their, their feet underneath them. I, I do think Baylor is a team that is going to improve a lot over the course of the year. And if it, this was like, you know, the second to last game, I wouldn't give KU a shot, even, you know, even if Baylor ends up being the number nine team in the conference. But I think that early in the schedule that they have a shot at it 
the Texas Tech game as well. I, I again another road game, but I think in terms of conference wins, their two best shots at conference wins are at Baylor and at Texas Tech, just because of those those two teams. I I have to agree with a lot of different people that I've heard around that say that I think you know that Texas Tech looks like there's going to be a down year for them. Is it going to be down enough that Kansas can sneak in there and get a win? I don't know about that, but I do think if 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 it happens, that's probably the most likely spot for it to happen. So. Yeah, I mean, it's it, it's a little bit unfortunate that, you know, a couple of the teams that look like there might be an outside shot to beat, you know, it looks like all those games are on the road. But, you know, we, we've seen we've seen really bad KU teams nearly beat teams on the road before, too. I mean, it's rare, but, you know, one year they lost to Iowa State 13 to 10. Um, you know, another year they lost to Texas Tech in overtime. It's like you know, 41, 35 or something like that. So it's, it's possible. I mean, obviously the, the upsets they have had, which at this case are, you know, in the last couple of years, Texas, West Virginia, and then the Iowa state game, they're actually favored, but you know, obviously it was still like, Oh my God, they won a conference game. Um, Obviously those were all at home, but you know, I'm not, I'm not discounting, you know, I don't think that being on the road just automatically means it's a loss. I mean, sure. It makes it more difficult, but you know, hopefully if nothing else, the crowd won't be super duper fired up because they're playing Kansas. So right. Exactly. <laughs> maybe I that think, works to their advantage. Yeah. I think that, I think that plays into our favor that no one's really going to get up for a game against Kansas. So hopefully it's uh it's not that big of a deal. So, all right, let's go ahead and uh, finish up with uh, kind of a, a tradition we've been doing here early in the year um, for the for the preseason. I've been asking all the guests on the podcast that have been coming to talk about Kansas football specifically um, uh, some some over-under questions. I know last year, I believe you were on the, the podcast episode where we had like 40 different over-unders and everybody was really, really optimistic and the lines were set really high. I have a few of them here for you. I think some of these lines are set high, but I wouldn't necessarily consider them to be optimistic. Um questions here so let, let's go ahead and get started i have five of them for you here and i'll go ahead and get your answers for them so the first one the number of qbs to start a game for kansas this year i have that line set at two and a half Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> you know what i i'm i'm actually going to take the over um mostly mostly based on you know i i think that they'll they'll rack up enough losses that someone who maybe might not normally have gotten a shot at the end of the year. We'll, we'll get a chance to start a game, um, especially if they might go into the last two games of the year and be, you know, two and eight or whatever, and just say, you know, Kendrick might not have played all year. And they might say, you know what, let's, let's see how he looks out there. And, I mean, unless and there's a chance to like redshirt him, but. Well, especially given the fact, the, the changes to the redshirt rule, where you can play in up to four games and still use a red shirt. So if we get to the end oh, of the right, year, right, yeah. you know, and, and I actually had, had talked about this with, with Jesse Newell, that to be honest, having three, three different quarterbacks, if it's pretty clear pretty early that we're not going to, you know, be able to, to do anything. And they are like, if Beatty gets canned, cause we go zero and three in the first, the first three games, um, you could potentially have all three of the quarterbacks play four games each, and all three of them could get a red shirt for, and come back next year, which would be the most insane thing that you could ever see. But it's <laughs> entirely be, possible. <laughs> that would be hilarious. But then again, you know, Beatty's the guy who burned, you know, Ryan Willis's red shirt in the first game of the season, and then didn't play him for like five more weeks. So, oh yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know. I don't, I'm not holding my breath, but uh, no. I mean, I honestly, I mean, we Bender's going to get hit. 
I mean, it's just, it's, he's, you know, he's not a very like, you know, mad scrambling type guy to get away from pressure. And, you know, when you're a pocket passer and you don't have a great line, you're going to take some hits. So, yeah, I mean, I, I definitely wouldn't be surprised if, you know, he gets kind of banged up or, you know, hurt. It might, maybe not even a serious injury, but, you know, has to sit a game or two. And the coaches say, we don't think Kendrick's ready. And, you know, Stanley at this point, he is what he is. I mean, I think he's perfectly fine to have as a backup quarterback, you know, and he's got some moxie. He can make some plays when things break down. And I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, week four or five or so, Bender gets nicked up and they're kind of like, well, he's still our starter. And, and, you know, he honestly maybe he could even be playing well too. And they could say, well, he's still our starter and we think we can kind of put Stanley in and, and kind of keep the momentum going, whatever momentum that might be. It's probably not going to be much. Right. And then late in the season, they kind of say, okay, you know, it's we're, we're two and eight or whatever it is, one and nine. Let's, let's see what the other guy has. So that's, that's kind of what, I mean, we saw that pretty much every single year we had Mangino as our coach, except for the recent years. So, and we've seen it since then. So I've, I've, there's no indications to me that that's not going to continue. Yeah. All right. Next question. Steven Sims touchdown receptions. I set that line at nine and a half. Ooh, you know what? I'm actually going to say under, um, I think, I think he'll have a good season, but he's, you know, he's not like a big kind of red zone target guy. Um, so I think, you know, I, I think he'll honestly, I think he'll top a thousand yards. I think he'll, which I think would be his best season. So I, I think he's going to have a good year, but I, I think he'll probably end up kind of seven to eight touchdowns. Yeah. So, the, so the question on that though, is, you know, he has quite a few long touchdowns, um, which have kind of helped, but Nine and a half is actually a pretty big number because he had six into that in in last season, seven the season before. So to really go ahead to to, to go ahead and take the over there, you have to think the quarterback play is going to settle in and actually give him an opportunity to get more. So um, I think that is kind of a little bit high, but I also do think that there is some genuine optimism for him coming into the year. So. Um, yeah, and I, I actually haven't made my picks on these yet. I will do that in our last episode before. So the one coming up, it will be either Thursday or Friday of this week. So right before the actual uh, game. But um, yeah, that is just something to keep in mind for that one. So number three, uh, the number of Khalil Herbert 200 plus yard games. And I set that at two and a half. Oof. You know what? I, I think I'm actually going to go under just because I think other guys are going to get kind of, you know, negate the chance of that happening. I, I think he'll have a good season, but, you know, I think guys like, like Puka Williams and, or, or Dom Williams, maybe I'm mixing up their names, but <laughs> um, I, I think that some of the other young running backs they have on the team are, are going to get a good amount of carries. With Herbert, you know, we've seen – with, with his career in Kansas that he he's definitely he's he's really effective when he's fresh but we've seen him kind of wear down and, and really become less effective when he's when he starts really piling up the carries in the season and, and so I think the coaches are going to try to keep him fresh and I, I think the other guys are going to you know get enough carries that he'll definitely have a I think I'll have several hundred yard games but I don't think there'll be much much past that. Yeah, I mean, I I'm, I might have set the number of yards a little too high there, but I also could see him having two really good or games out of those first three, 
and getting there. And then, you know, the question is how well does the offensive line hold up throughout the rest of the year? Like he has the ability that, that explosiveness, the ability to, to be able to have multiple 200 plus yard games. It's really just going to come down to is the rest of the offense going to actually put him in a position where he can do that. So, all right. Number four, the number of times that Kansas is losing by less than 10 points at the half. So either a single digit deficit or they're winning at the half. What's and the line? I, oh, I'm sorry. I, I, I set that line at four and a half. Oh. <laughs> well, I, I mean, I, I think I think they're going to get that in all three non-con games. You know, like I said, I, I, that's not an endorsement right. from me. They're going to win the game, but I, I think they get three there. So, you know, can, can they get two in league play? Uh, I think they can. I think they can. Yeah, I, 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 we've seen it. We've seen it happen before. So I, I think I'll actually go over on that. They, I, I think they'll get the three non-cons, and then there'll be there'll be two league games where you know they're only down by a score at the half, or you know the other team had a disaster first half before they destroy us in the second half, which right. has happened plenty of times uh, in the last several years. So yeah, I think I'll actually take the over. All right, and then our last one. The number of punts on fourth and one. <laughs> <laughs> and and really, I mean, I, when I was putting this together, I was thinking like fourth and short. So like obvious situations where he shouldn't be punting, but he goes ahead and does it anyway. Um, but fourth and one just sounds so much so much funnier. So uh, I, I set that line at 11 and a half. Hold on. I got to – I'm opening a beer because <laughs> you said that. Oh, gosh. Yeah. <laughs> <sighs> okay. Um. What was the line again? Eleven and a half. Oh jeez. You know what? I'm I'm gonna say under just because if it's over, I probably aren't I, are gonna stop watching. Yeah, I mean, I I don't know what I'll do. So I, I'm I'm gonna just it, it's wishful thinking, but I'm gonna take the under. Yeah, and you know, I had I think that was the one I had the hardest time setting the line for because I could see if he if he becomes a competent coach at all, you would have to think either he's not gonna be making those calls and so we don't have to worry about his you know his history because Doug Meacham would be a little bit more aggressive going for it on fourth and one or it's going to be just so bad that he's just going to go like ballistic and we're going to have like 20 or 30 of them in, in the year like I yeah see I mean either one of those so the danger I mean, the dangerous thing is we we've just we we have so many examples of if if KU does get a lead or get in a game you know Beatty usually clams up and gets really conservative. I mean, it's happening. Oh, yeah. the, TCU. The, I mean, yeah, I was just about to say that. Yeah, the TCU game, KU got a, you know, a lead in, in the second half. And, you know, they had like a third and seven, and they ran Ryan Willis up the middle so they could kick a field goal on like the 20-yard line. And you're like, what do you do? Like, try to score. Like, if you score a touchdown here, you probably win the game. I mean, and yeah. they would have. And, and and it's like, oh, instead you have Willis just take the ball and run up the middle three yard. You're Ryan Willis, the, you know, Mike Vick 2.0. <laughs> you know, right, exactly. And it, yeah, I mean, it's he he seems it's it's crazy to me how how conservative he is when it just seems like a all logic and reason would dictate to be aggressive in these situations, and b you know what do you have to lose? But yeah. <laughs> I guess that's why he gets paid the big bucks, right? So to take all the criticism for making bad decisions. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right. All right. Well, that that's it for the over under. Um, was there any other 
football or basketball topics you want to talk about before we get out of here for the night? Ooh, I don't think so. I mean, I'm, I'm definitely excited for the season, even though it's KU football. <laughs> um, you know, I, I, I'll, I'll kind of remain optimistic. I mean, I, I know obviously they're, they're not going to sniff a bowl or anything, but you know, hopefully they take a step forward and, you know, also hopefully there's, you know, whoever the next coach is because Beatty's odds of returning, I think at this point are, are pretty slim. I don't think it's very, you know, crazy to say that. Um, yeah. I mean, there's just, there's a lot of unknowns, but you know, hopefully, hopefully they give us a couple opportunities to, feel happy this fall or at the very least not as embarrassed yeah i think that's the goal is to just not be as embarrassed this year so all right well we will go ahead and uh, leave it there thanks thanks for joining me tonight greg yeah no problem all right and hopefully we have a good season to talk about so and that'll do it for today's episode thanks again for joining me guys we um we have one more episode coming up this week this will actually be our normal schedule. We'll normally have um, a kind of a, a, a recap episode that will happen. Uh, usually it'll be Monday or Tuesday, just kind of depending on, on how things are going. Um, but it will recap the previous week's game. And then either Thursday or Friday of that week, we will have our preview of the game that's upcoming. So um, occasionally we might have a special episode thrown in here or there uh, if we have any other topics to talk about. But... Typically, if you know, um, if we have anything else to, to talk about, like the, the the hockey team or the volleyball team or soccer or anything like that, uh, we'll probably just tack it into one of those episodes as as a special segment. So, um, we do have actually uh, David Potter will be joining us in, in our Nickel State preview that will be dropping on Thursday or Friday, um, and some other things to look forward to. We we will be um, talking some some KU women's soccer. In the, in the next week or so. Uh, so that's definitely something to keep an eye on. The, the team is off to a hot start. Uh, you know, just kind of a, a wrap-up of the weekend. The KU volleyball team opened up their season with a split with Arkansas. They had a home-and-home. Home. They actually won the game on the road in five sets, got down early. Uh, the second... The second match at home, they, they lost that one three sets to one. So um, a little bit of an uneven start for the volleyball team. But the soccer team is off to a 3-0-1 and and start. They they had three shutouts in their first three games. This last game against Oregon on Sunday, uh, they, they tied that game 1-1. to So off to a very hot start. We will be having someone on to talk about soccer. I'm still nailing down the details of all of that, but... Um, definitely stay tuned for that. So you guys can follow us on Twitter at rock chalk pod. You can email us rock chalk podcast at gmail.com. Um, again, a, any way you want to go ahead and get in touch with us. You can also, I I'm personally on Twitter. It's at Mr. Under double underscore brain. So Mr. Two underscores and then brain. Um, you know, we can, we love to talk to you guys about KU sports whether it's football basketball you know soccer volleyball anything so if you have any questions any topics you want us to talk about um you know anything at all any any suggestions for how to improve the podcast go ahead and 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 hit me up at any of those ways uh i will listen to everybody's suggestions and we'll try to get everything incorporated so uh, again we'll be back later this week 
on either Thursday or Friday with David Potter previewing the Nickel State game. We'll actually dive as deep into that game as we possibly can. Um, so definitely tune in for that, and we will catch you guys next time on the Rock Chalk Podcast. Sports Social Podcast Network.